The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. For over 20 years, Godis Notgrass was an independent contractor specializing in sensitive covert assignments, as well as bodyguard work. In 1994, he was given the task to blow up the Alfred P. Mora building in Oklahoma City. This job came from an ex-U.S. military man who told him he worked covertly for the CIA. He refused on moral grounds. His strong opposition to attacking U.S. citizens on our own soil changed his status from a CIA asset into liability, a private independent contractor who knew too much. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Now from his own words, this is the true story of my job offer in October 1994 to bomb the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City six months before it happened for $1 million in cash. As an independent contractor and bodyguard who worked with, among other CIA assets and agents, I refused his job on patriotic grounds. In May 1999, during ATF DEA Operation Stingray, I told undercover ATF agents about CIA domestic black ops who cover up massive high-level U.S. government corruption. But I was planted with false evidence by these ATF agents who were awarded the Nation's Top Cop Award by Vice President Al Gore. These high-level truths show a quiet shadow government takeover of America's justice system by CIA-controlled judges and the bankers' new world order. These are the truths our government doesn't want you to know about the Oklahoma City cover-up. After 20 years of silence, this false flag operation, CIA mind control, and more are revealed. His book is titled Choosing the Light, Dark Secrets of the Oklahoma City Bombing. And there are links on our website. Cody Snuckress joins us today. Cody, welcome to Veritas. How are you? Oh, thanks, Mel. I'm great. It's a real pleasure and honor to be with you. Likewise, likewise. 1995. It's been, what, 24 years since that event? Yep, this year's be it'd be 24 years. Let's start from the beginning. This is going to be a hard, hard interview to conduct just because the information that you'll be sharing with us tonight is very difficult to grasp. For a lot of people who are still probably asleep, Cody, a lot of people think that the government has our best intentions in mind. Let's give a, a bit of a background of who you are. Let's start from the very beginning. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll go through a, a, a timeline, uh, and then we'll go through uh, stuff about the Oklahoma City bomb, and then we can ask questions and stuff. But this timeline, it'll take me about 10 minutes or so. Uh, we always start. Uh, any interviews we do, uh, we quote the 1982 Intelligence Identities Protection Act. That's the IIPA, U.S. Code uh, Title 50, Sections 421, 426. 
and it states the disclosure of a U.S. government operative's identity is illegal only if it's done intentionally and with knowledge that the government is still actively maintaining a cover for such operative. And we do this, Mel, because some of the people we're going to be talking about are, um, uh, some of them are deceased, we can use their names. Uh, some of them may be uh, operational, so we cannot use their names. But uh, we do this in regards to, uh, some of your listeners may know of CIA case officer John Kiriaku. Uh, back in January 2013, he was sentenced um, to about 30 months in federal prison here for violation of this act. He was charged with five counts of espionage. The whole case was made up. He was a whistleblower for the CIA's RDI program. That was a rendition, detention, and interrogation program down at, at Gitmo and, and other places. But um, we always quote that act. Uh, and so, yeah, my story basically begins way back in 1974. I graduated from high school. I'd taken the SAT test. That's the Scholastic Aptitude Test here in the U.S. for college entrance. I scored in the top 1% in the physics section of that test. And so later in 1975, uh, in the physics department at East Texas State University uh, here in the U.S., uh, the CIA came to recruit me. And um, later on, I went, I'm just going to fast forward through time. I, I graduated in... Uh, By the way, take take all the time you need. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to go through a basic timeline and then we'll we'll get into specifics later. But then uh, I graduated with a double Bachelor of Science degrees in both mathematics and physics. I went on to work on my Master of Science degree in physics. Uh, and during that time, uh, I got to fly the Space Shuttle Simulator down at NASA on a, a physics field trip down there. And so uh, after graduate school, I worked at Chevron Geosciences there in Houston, Texas, and later moved to Amoco Production Company as a petroleum and research geophysicist. Now, these were my civilian fronts. Um, you know, uh, it's like a knock, you know, non-official cover. Uh, an official cover would be something like a liaison to the State Department or a photojournalist for, for Time Magazine or whatever. But these, this was a, a non-government uh, uh, situation um, with a non-government cover. So that was my cover there. And... Um, from 82 through 85, um, I, that was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I was uh, working for Amoco Production Company as a front. Um, we were involved in the operations over in Arkansas. Uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Bill was governor there, and um, the CIA was running multiply nested operations there to um, uh, assist the uh, Nicaraguan freedom fighters the Contras against the Sandinistas run by uh, Daniel Ortega down there. In February of 84, Congress had passed the Bolin Amendment, and uh, that was an amendment uh, designed to keep troops out, uh, you know, not on the ground down there. And Ronald Reagan, the president, didn't like that, so he covertly ordered CIA director to run these ops. Centaur Rose, Jade Bridge, and Screwworm, we can talk about all those later on. Um, And so you fast forward through all that, and... um, I got the job to bodyguard uh, Staff Sergeant Barry Sadler uh, down in Guatemala City. He had previously been with the Special Forces in Vietnam. And uh, during that time, some of your older listeners, Mel, they might re- uh, remember him. In 1965, he wrote The Battle of the Green Beret, which went up to the number one hit single here in the U.S. Uh, right before the Vietnam War was escalated. 
But I went to bodyguard him. That whole story's in there. The truth of what happened there has never been told. He was shot on September 8, uh, 1988, down there by a CIA assassin. So anyway, you fast forward through that time. You go through the Waco thing. Uh, you know, the, the uh, Ruby Ridge uh, standoff happened up in Idaho with Randy Weaver and Vicki Weaver where she was shot. Some of the same ATF agents there would show up later at the Branch Davidian compound in Waco. That was February 28th and 93. And we can tell the story about that. We have a story in this book that's never been told in public either. Um, so you fast forward through all this time. Uh, we go up into uh, September 91. I was involved in Project Slammer. That's a, another um, CIA operation uh, that had begun back in 84 and 85. It was a 10-year study with NSA, DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, Navy and Army Air Force Intelligence and so forth. We can talk about that more in detail. I died in that operation uh, twice. They had to shock me back, and I survived. And so fast forward into uh, October 94. That's when uh, Harold Leonard approached me with a job offer to buy the Murrah building. We can talk about that more in detail. And so... um, after that operation, uh, the murder building went up in April 19th of 95. Uh, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols got pinned as the, the patches for that op. We can talk more about that, too. But so anyway, after all of this, uh, it, was, it was later on in 1999, um, DEA ATF Operation Stingray had begun in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and that's where I met ATF agent Blake Butler, who would later be given the nation's top cop award. And one day when we were there, it was uh, April 20th of 1999 is when the Columbine high school shooting occurred up here in Littleton, Colorado. Now, Mel, that was the largest high school shooting at the time ever in the U.S. And so two days later, I was at ATF agent's uh, undercover residence there for the ATF DEA. And we began talking. President Bill Clinton was there with Janet Reno, uh, the United States Attorney General at the time. And they were talking about the Columbine shooting and so forth. And so we started talking, and um, we were all alone there. And I didn't know we were under four-millimeter little hidden cameras. So I began talking there about some of the CI stuff I'd been in and the job to bomb the Maruba and so forth. Well, the ATF turned those tapes over to CIA, and the CIA disappeared them because everything on it was true. I talked about the pedophile rings in Arkansas, the aforementioned Operation Centaur Rose, and so forth, the money laundering, the pedophile rings, the drug rings, everything down there. We can talk about all that later. Uh, But anyway, fast-forwarding through here, uh, five months later, ATF agent Blake Butler planted me with false evidence, uh, and the CIA disappeared the tapes, and it was their way of shutting me up. And so they threw me in uh, in front of Judge Edward Nottingham in the Tenth Circuit District Court in Denver, Colorado. They uh, committed perjury to the grand jury um, and lied. And we can talk about the planted evidence, all that stuff later if we got time. But this is a big story. And so Judge Edward Nottingham, we would find out, was nominated to his position as a, a chief judge there here in Colorado by none other than George Bush Sr., who was uh, Director of Central Intelligence, the DCI, back in the 70s when they came to recruit me. And so um, Judge Nottingham was like a front 
for the CIA. His his job was to pretend to be a federal judge, but what he really did was steer cases, okay, and control cases that were national security insensitive. And they used what they call the DOJ, Department of Justice, software. Um, it was called the Promise software. Promise, yeah, I've heard. Yep, and they steered cases like uh, uh, Q West case with Joe Naccio, the Q West executive who wouldn't play along with the NSA uh, spying on Americans that Bush had ordered after the uh, 9-11 attacks and so forth. And so there were several people who had CI stuff, and we were all thrown in front of Judge Nottingham. Well, um, they put me in solitary confinement uh, close to Timothy McVeigh, um, and the whole the whole series of of stuff is documented in this book. It's a 700 page book. has a huge appendix. It has 302s from the FBI and DEA and ATF. It has activity log reports, court documents in the appendix, so forth. All right. So fast forward through this time, uh, McVeigh was uh, sent to be executed. Um, I believe they, yeah, that was June the 11th of 2001 when he, they took him to Terre Haute, Indiana. And um, I got to talk to the attorney who witnessed the execution there at Terre Haute. He held McVeigh's mother's hand. Nathan Chambers was his name. We talk about all that in detail later. Uh, so they kept me in there for about four and a half years. I never had a motions hearing. I was denied bond. I had a perfect record, not one traffic ticket. I had no drugs, no violence. Um, they got me on these planted evidence uh, with firearms charges I can tell you about. And so I, I know I'm going real fast. I'm just trying to cover a lot of t- uh, stuff in a short time. Well, on July 24th of 2003, um, Judge Nottingham ordered a final motions hearing for me. I'd went four and a half years and never even had a motions hearing. Um, the, the court reporters were kicked out of many of my the hearings. Uh, U.S. Marshals told to stand outside. They played the tapes, uh, these tapes that were made uh, about me talking about the Oklahoma City bombing and, and the cover-ups and the pedophile rings and, and the cocaine and all the drugs in uh, the aforementioned Operation Centaur Rose in Arkansas with the Clintons. And so um, all of this was going on, and we had hired a tape expert named William Valentine. He had previously worked for the CIA as a as a uh, electronics expert, his job was to bug and debug the White House. Um, he had coffee with preceding presidents Reagan, Bush, and Clinton. And Valentine uh, looked at all the tapes. He looked at all the stuff, and we had 100% evidence, Mel, that the uh, ATF, the DEA, the CIA had doctored tapes, planted evidence. They were all involved in a conspiracy to uh, plant evidence, obstruct justice, lie to the grand jury, and so forth. So we were going to get all this stuff into the court. And Valentine told me, he said, you know, you're dealing with these people that were at Waco. They were at Ruby Ridge, Idaho. They were working at the Murrah building on the day it was bombed and then called in sick, of course. Um, So he said, they're not going to ever let you get this stuff into court. They're all going to go to prison. And this stuff's going to be on the front page of every newspaper in the U.S., be on the national news, everything. And so the hearing was scheduled for July 24th. Well, on July the 7th, okay, just about two weeks before 
we were going to get all this stuff in and take down the ATF, the DEA, all of it. Um, I was cleaning my windshield at a Walmart parking lot on 8th Street in Colorado Springs, Colorado. My wife was in there shopping. I was leaning across the hood, cleaning the windshield. I never saw it. I never heard it. Uh, I heard the wheels uh, squealing and a motor racing. And uh, someone came in the parking lot right in front of me and totaled my LTD Crown Victoria out from under me, uh, knocked it back about six to eight feet. It was The motor was off. It was in park um, and knocked me up and back into another car. And I hit on the roof of that car and rolled over the hood. And then I bounced off the fender of another car adjacent to it and then hit a concrete light pole. And it nearly killed me, but I survived and was in the hospital for a while. And then I went to an outpatient physical therapy uh, unit. And then when I was walking out from this outpatient unit with a cane, um, I had another car in the parking lot. And I was walking to the car real slow and on the street adjacent to the parking lot was a Colorado Springs police cruiser sitting there with a the motor running. And when I got to my car, they floored the motor. They jumped the curb, and sparks were flying everywhere. And this motor, it was coming right at me. And I thought they were going to crush me between uh, the two cars. And at the last minute, they swerved this police cruiser sideways. It was about four feet away from me, threw rocks all over me. And in the car was the nation's top cop, ATF agent Blake Butler. He's the one that planted me with evidence and turned the, the tapes about the CIA and the murder building over to the uh, CIA. And he shook his finger at me. He was dressed in a Colorado Springs police uniform, Mel. And he shook his finger at me. And then he drove off. And I was pretty shook up. And I, I got my car, and I drove back up the mountain pass coming to my uh, cabin up here in the Colorado Mountains. And I pulled over and, and, and threw up. I was really upset. And uh, I got home, and I was sitting in here with my wife and young son. We were watching a movie, and a SUV pulled up in the front yard. And we were way out here by the National Forest, isolated rural area. And I walked down there. And I thought they were coming to kill me. And I didn't want my son, you know, to, to see me uh, killed. And I walked down there to this SUV, and sitting in the SUV was Harold Leonard, the guy that had first offered me the job to bomb the Murrah building back in October of 1994. And he was sitting there with the motor running with his hands on the wheel and the window down. And I said, what's going on? And he said, look, he said, if you go to court and you talk about anything that we, you know, that we've done or talked about, he said, we've got orders to kill you, and we've got orders to kill your wife and son. And he pointed up to the living room here in the house. And then he put his head down on the steering wheel, and he took a deep sigh, you know, because he was my friend. He was my associate. We'd done ops together. And he took a deep breath, and he said, you know, it's nothing personal. And then he drove away, and he was giving me a warning. So I'm almost to the end of this, and then we can, we can get to questions or dig down deeper. There's a whole bunch to this story. That's why the book took 700 pages. But anyway, Harold Leonard left. I came back in here. I was pretty shook up. Um, so the next day I called my attorney, which was a Denver Broncos football team attorney, Harvey Steinberg in Denver, Colorado, and I asked him to uh, change my plea to guilty. 
and we went up uh, to the Tenth Circuit Court. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.